Happy Sunday, everybody, and welcome back to Rounding the News. My name is Liam Sturgis, and it's been a busy weekend. We rescheduled because I had a family member come into town, and it was absolutely fantastic. We went on many Vancouver journeys, and um, yeah, I'm excited to be back to discuss some very interesting things going on with you guys. Hello, Lowell, and as usual, please let me know if you can see and hear me okay. So let's jump right in. This is Rounding the News, the weekly news roundup brought to you by and presented by Rounding the Earth. Before we truly get started, though, I want to remind everyone you can support the show by sending us a rumble rant over on rumble or a tip on rockfin but even more importantly you can go over to our locals community where i have posted the show notes for today's episode along with the links to watch the show live on youtube rumble and rockfin you can join the community as a free member or sign up to support us for five dollars a month to gain access to locals' exclusive live streams, such as the one that Matthew and I did, uh, well, it was back on Thursday, I suppose, on the topic of chaos agents in the medical freedom movement, as it is so called. And of course, you can get a free month uh, of that premium supporter tier membership. It is the pinned comment. You just click the link and you'll get right in. So I'm just going to really quickly double check on the Rumble chat and then the Rockfin chat to make sure we are good. Everyone can hear me. Good stuff and good stuff. Okay. So let us do this. Let's do a summary of what we're going to do today. November 20, 2022. Health, Pfizer, and Moderna begin their clinical trials to investigate safety after subjecting billions of people to medical experimentation without informed consent. In law, we have a class action certification hearing in the province of British Columbia, where I live, coming up in less than one month. In the economy, FTX exposure threatens more than just crypto companies with regulations looming. In the environment, drought conditions continue across North America, sparking concern over winter wheat yields. And lastly, in culture, suspicious Magic the Gathering auction result sparks speculation of Hasbro market manipulation. Now, this should be a lot of fun, and it took me a long time to put this report together. Um, let's do this. Let's jump in. So, starting from the top. They told us it was safe and effective before doing trials to determine if it causes myocarditis. That's not, quote, moving at the speed of science. It's a crime against humanity. That is a tweet from Viva Fry. Two years into the largest medical experiment in human history, clinical trials are being launched to determine if it was safe to mass administer mRNA-based injectable products under the global pop. Hello, Taz. Thank you for joining us. After framing the problem as affecting only, quote, a very small group of people in the United States, NBC News reports that Pfizer and Moderna are only now starting to look for the true extent of damage in the form of only one adverse event, by the way, myocarditis, out of the many severe outcomes documented following injection. Reading from the article, Moderna has already launched two trials. Oh, I should probably show you the article. There it is. 
already launched two trials, the most recent in September. Pfizer confirmed that at least one of its trials, which will include up to 500 teens and young adults aged under 25, is slated to begin in the next couple of months. The Food and Drug Administration has required that the drug makers conduct several studies assessing the potential long-term impacts of myocarditis as part of its approval of the mRNA COVID vaccines in the U.S., Early findings from the research could be published as early as next year, sources told NBC News. Some of the trials will follow those who developed the condition for as long as five years, according to the FDA's approval letters. The trials will be monitoring for myocarditis and subclinical myocarditis, which doesn't cause symptoms. The FDA declined to comment on Pfizer and Moderna's studies because they are ongoing. Yeah, (laughs) but an agency official said the chance of having myocarditis occur following vaccination is very low. Now, it goes without saying, I mean, Lowell said at the beginning that they would wait until the trial was over, April 2023. Yes, I'm glad I did as well. Safety of a new pharmaceutical product is traditionally evaluated before its deployment to the general public. Indeed, the interim phase three clinical trial data published by Pfizer in 2020 showed that the participants who received the shot were sicker in the control arm, suffered more serious adverse events of all kinds, and suffered more deaths. And as you can see here, I've included both the New England Journal of Medicine study that underlied the submission to the FDA, and then over there, as I always do, reminding you guys to check out the More Harm Than Good video put forward by the Canadian COVID Care Alliance. This was later reaffirmed by internal trial documents disclosed by court order, which detailed how serious adverse events, including vaccine failure and death, were recategorized and hidden. Now, um, contrary to the quote provided by an FDA official in that NBC article that the condition does not lead to cardiac-related death, the prognosis of myocarditis is not bright. This is uh, the term, uh, the title of the study, Long-Term Prognosis Following Hospitalization for Acute Myocarditis, a Matched Nationwide Cohort Study. This was published in March 2021, and it was not referring to the mRNA injections. In fact, this is myocarditis, no matter how it's caused, is inflammation of the heart muscle, and it does not heal, it scars. I don't believe any of this is controversial or requiring too much debate, but of course, I will engage in it with those who would like to. But as you can see, uh, if I can hide my little face here, Patients with myocarditis and no prior cardiac disease were at higher risk of death and heart failure. Could be as much as up to words matter, says Taz. Skilled TV watchers, as Lowell says, know that much, know that much from a lifetime of watching ads. And save up to 50% or more equals zero to infinity. Yes, this, of course, referring to uh, how pharmaceutical products are usually rolled out. And uh, funny, we got a lot of ads this time, but it didn't quite work that way, now did it? Yes, frustrating indeed. So moving on here. Esther Reitman, 
As pointed out by some Twitter users, such as Esther, in response to the news, it is not possible that Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Janssen, the Food and Drug Administration, Health Canada, the European Medicines Agency, and the many other pharmaceutical and pseudo-regulatory organizations taking part in the process were unaware of the injury and death caused by these products. As Esther writes, if I knew a lowly mother, then they damn well knew. In August 2021, as they were forcing young university slash college students to get the shot in order to return to class. Yes, universities, businesses, governments, and people in positions of authority who convinced, coerced, and then forced their students, constituents, subordinates, and colleagues to receive this irreversible medical procedure without informed consent share responsibility for the illness, injury, and death that they mandated. For an illustration, see this handy chart showing the massive non-COVID excess death in Massachusetts, timed perfectly with the rollout of the injections. So you can see here, 2020, when do the shots come in? Well, right here. In between December 2020 and January 2021, there's that huge spike. Then it levels off. And then what do we get? Well, we're starting to see the mandates kick in right around the time, August 2021, that Esther was talking about. And an even sharper spike, maybe the exact same spike. But also at the same time, look, COVID-19 cases are spiking as well. It's a It's a mess. As Lowell mentions, so your entire future ruling class now in college has been multi-jabbed. Doesn't bode well. Not to mention your entire military. These are the correct questions to be asking, Lowell. It's a shame you seem to be the only one doing it. The emergency we are facing must not be understated. Aha! A face to love. Yes, class action lawsuit weeks away from escalating. While COVID-19 injections continue to be administered to the dwindling population that is unaware of the reality of our situation, good people are fighting back in the court of law. The Canadian Society for the Advancement of Science in Public Policy is preparing for their upcoming class action certification hearing scheduled to begin on December 12, 2022. If you don't know, this is Dr. Bonnie Henry, our provincial health officer. She's being sued, in short. Uh, in a status update to CSASPP website, Executive Director Kip Warner wrote, The world has been waiting nearly two years for it. If we prevail at certification, this proceed formally becomes a class action and may proceed to a 40-day trial. That means that a single plaintiff is augmented with potentially hundreds of thousands, if not millions, affected by the declaration of emergency. We also then have the formal tools of discovery made available to us to ask Dr. Henry questions and obtain documents. The November 9, 2022 update also announced that the hearing would be filmed and made available to the public the first time in the history of British Columbia. 
We believe this is a significant milestone on the road to accountability in respect to the conduct of the defendants, Warner said. And this is Kip Warner. He's the executive director of CSASPP. And I had the genuine pleasure of receiving a call from him out of the blue this past, must have been Thursday, potentially even Saturday. No, no, it was Thursday. I've completely lost track of time. But a volunteer with CSASPP put us in touch. And um, this may be a gentleman we'll be hosting on the show to discuss further in a roundtable context in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm very excited. Okay, so moving forward, look, the hearing will take place in Vancouver, British Columbia, and will be open to the public. CSASPP is crowdfunding their legal efforts. If you want to contribute to their war coffers, as he puts it, you can visit the donate page on the CSASPP website. As a fellow British Columbian, I can tell you I appreciate it very much. And noted that this is GoFundMe, and I understand we don't like GoFundMe these days. So there are other options, such as Interac e-transfer if you're Canadian, um, or others that you can go find on that page. And just a reminder, the links to all of this is in the uh, are in the show notes, which are available on the locals page. So, all that said, let's move into the economy. I just love this little picture I put here. FTX continues to pull down crypto with it. Following the whirlwind story last week of the collapse of the of cryptocurrency exchange FTX, the entire economic ecosystem continues to take hit after hit. More and more companies have revealed they held interest in a significant way in FTX, meaning they too are under increasing pressure to steady the ship while users try to pull their assets off of exchanges across the board. As of November 12th, Coindesk reports that the list of companies signaling FTX-related troubles includes Wintermute, Multicoin Capital, Amber Group, Liquid Meta, Pantera Capital, and Genesis, the latter of which officially halted client withdrawals way back on Wednesday, November 11th. Oh no, forgive me, November 16th, sending the price of Bitcoin 3.5% further down. But in fact, another crypto-based company, BlockFi, which is way over there, they were the ones who suspended most activities, including withdrawals on November 11th, freezing assets across the board. The title of a quickly censored Reddit post says it all. As expected, Janet Yellen says crypto must be regulated after FTX fiasco. Yes, indeed. It's funny that it was censored. Not much of an explanation as to why. But from CBS News, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has told CBS News that the spectacular collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX, which sent shockwaves through the crypto world last week with its bankruptcy filing, should serve as a warning to Americans about investing their money in extremely risky financial products traded in a space lacking appropriate supervision and regulation. Sounds an awful lot like Justin Trudeau. We have very strong investor and consumer protection laws for most of our financial markets, but in some ways, the crypto space has inadequate regulation. Yellen said that the Biden administration has highlighted, quote, regulatory holes that need to be filled for this to be a space where Americans can feel safe doing business. 
and blamed the, quote, absence of appropriate supervision and regulation for the FTX collapse. Look, I just, I don't want the Biden administration to be filling any holes anywhere near me. Let's just, too far, too far. Um, as L Jr. RN says, soften the battlefield. Certainly there's an element of that going on. In discussions with Matthew Crawford and his community of Bitcoin enthusiasts, the message to me at least is clear. Take your cryptocurrencies off of exchanges. All of it. Keep it in cold storage where you have full control over it. Uh, I'm not supposed to talk about that Bitcoin group, by the way. So pretend I didn't say anything. It'll be our little secret. Okay, now the environment. Look at this somber looking farmer. Drought conditions remain in the Americas through autumn. For a couple of months now, we've been covering the abnormal drought conditions threatening corn and soy harvests in North and South America. Unfortunately, the onset of colder weather has not translated into increased moisture, leaving farmers high and dry once again. Agricultural meteorologist Bryce Anderson writes in Progressive Farmer, quote, the drought of 2022 shows no let up in many areas of the Great Plains and uh, Western Midwest. The 60-day period from mid-September through mid-November saw precipitation totals which were largely no more than 50% of normal. The result is bone-dry river and stream beds, including a big portion of the Platte River in central Nebraska. The riverbed is so dry that it's turned into an off-roading destination <laughs> instead of a primary water course. Calculated soil moisture ranking in over half of Nebraska is only 1%. Responses, when they asked some officials, indicate a great deal of concern that the dry stream beds will continue to be a feature during 2023 as well. It's probably safe to say the prospects uh, for soil moisture recharge are not good for the spring growing season, said Michael Moritz, warning coordination meteorologist at the, oh, sorry, warning coordination meteorologist. That's an interesting title. Uh, anyway, at the NWS in Hastings, any precipitation we manage to receive will be devoured quickly in the short term, and the long-term prospects could take a handful of wet seasons to recover. Boy, oh boy. Now over on my favorite platform, BitChute, uh, Adapt2030, who I recommend, is warning the, he's warning that winter wheat yields are down across most of the United States, with the possible exception of the Pacific Northwest and other states bordering Western and Central Canada. The chart uh, that you see here is generated using United States Department of Agriculture data from, I believe, oh, that reflects up to November 1st, 2022. That's excellent. Okay, but it's not just the Americas. Australia is reaching record low temperatures as well, from Tasmania to New South Wales. Keep in mind, it's summertime there. So that's not good. But now let's move into a quick word from our sponsor.
Yes, friends, it's time for your reminder that freedom, to the extent that we still have it, is always worth celebrating. Indeed, there is a never a bad time to raise a glass in honor of our God-given freedom. We live in a time where presidents deliver red sermons of division. Prime ministers remain in office for less time than a season of She-Hulk remains on the air. Yes, this is an old script. It's still a funny joke, I think. So don't sit idly by and hope for change. Don't pine for days where you could have a conversation without triggering your neighbor. Knock on their door tonight, 11.13 p.m in some parts of the United States, with a bottle of blood of tyrant's wine in hand and toast to each other's good health. Buy your bottle at www.bloodoftyrant.wine and save $5 when you use coupon code EARTH at checkout. And when you receive it in the mail and pour your first glass, take a picture and tag at Round Earth Club and at Blood of Tyrants W on Twitter and we will share your picture in an upcoming episode. So, thank you, Blood of Tyrant's Wine. A toast. Okay. So, that now, Lowell, this is a really good question. Does Blood of Tyrant ship to Australia? I believe. I hope that's not New Zealand. I think that's Australia. Um, and the answer is, I don't think so, um, because I know they don't ship to Canada. So, I was thinking the other day that, first of all, I have to reply to their email where they suggested a bunch of cool video things I could do with their wine. And when I do that, I'm also going to ask if there is any way to accommodate international viewers because we have a lot of them. So thank you for the question. It's a very good one. And yes, please do make sure that I had that flag correct. Okay, so back at it again. Magic the Gathering. Yes, I suppose if you read the title of this stream, you knew that this was going here. Um, but uh, yes, this is uh, something that I uh, hold dear to my heart. I love Magic the Gathering. And uh, any, any, any opportunity to bring my hobbies into Rounding the Earth and to the Rounding the Earth Committee. Committee. Yeah, yeah I suppose you're all my committee. The Rounding the Earth Community. That's something I'm going to do. So here we go. It appears that even our hobbies such as Magic the Gathering, are not immune from the shenanigans playing out seemingly in every sector around the world. It cannot be escaped. So Magic the Gathering is described as the first trading card game, initially launched in 1993 by the Seattle-based company Wizards of the Coast. The entire origin story of magic deserves a deeper dive. And, you know, there's even an interesting satanic panic element to this, but we can come back to that on a later date. But it'll be worth it to look more, if not just to figure out why it is that the Washington School of Public Health, where this document was published, uh, of all of the academic departments that it could have been, why were they the ones to publish a background on Wizards of the Coast? Anyway, for now, we will focus on the economics of the new era products that are coming out now, as well as the collectibles market, because there's something interesting going on that is very relevant to this great reset situation that we find ourselves in. Okay, so among the game's earliest cards were the highly popular Power 9, quote, rare cards found in the alpha, beta, and unlimited sets that were so powerful, they were banned virtually across the board from any kind of formal play. So these cards are Ancestral Recall, Black Lotus, 
Mox Emerald, Mox Jet, Mox Pearl, Mox Ruby, Mox Sapphire, Time Twister, and Time Walk. Of course, out of those, most people will recognize the Black Lotus for its record-breaking sales on the secondary market as a collectible over the years, including its 166,100 US dollar sale in February 2019. So there's another concept we need to know here is the reserve list. As magic grew in popularity, Wizards of the Coast, henceforth abbreviated to Watsi, W-O-T-C, issued a number of reprinted sets in order to continue capitalizing while also expanding the game's reach to newer players. This had a number of unintended consequences. Primarily the, the very stark and quick devaluation of the earlier cards that had become instant collector's items owing to their Power 9 awesomeness as well as their scarcity. There were very small print runs at the beginning. After some backlash, Watsi issued a promise to never again reprint a list of 572 cards that were considered the collectible ones to, quote, maintain your confidence in the magic game as a collectible. As this article explains from MTG Goldfish, if we take a time machine back to 1996, when the list was created, the magic world looked very different. Magic was a much, much smaller game rather than the behemoth it is today. There was no certainty that the game would exist the next year, let alone 25 years later. If you look at other similar games, most quickly died off. Magic could easily have experienced the same fate. In this context, as a new game with an unsure future, we have Chronicles, the first mass reprint set in the game's history. While today we expect reprints on a yearly or even monthly basis, which, by the way, is sort of part of the problem, but we'll get there, and much of the player base clamors for more reprints of in-demand staples at the time, the idea of a high-supply reprint set was completely new. Chronicles took many expensive and in-demand cards from the first years of Magic and didn't just reprint them, but reprinted them into the ground with some cards reprinted in the set falling in price from $50 down to just a few dollars. The supply of the set was so high that even today, 25 years later, few of the cards have any value. And this on the screen here is one example. There's a character represented in a card here called Nicole Bolas. This set here, as you can tell by the symbol, is Legends. And the one on the right, well, this is the Chronicles reprint. The one on the left, $187. The one on the right, $2.50. Don't worry, this is going somewhere. The above talked about Power 9 cards, the ones we just mentioned. Those are on the reserve list. As MTG Goldfish and other sources explain, the rules of the reserve list have evolved over time to both acclaim and further backlash. So now a little bit more history here. Watsi was acquired by toy giant Hasbro in 1999. Though it spent decades winning big with the property, Wall Street and players of the game alike are starting to call out the company for its overprinting of cards and dilution of Magic's inherent value. But it gets worse from here. 2023 
will be Magic's 30th anniversary. And Hasbro has decided to go big. On October 4, 2022, Blake Rasmussen of WotC announced the release of a special 30th anniversary edition set intended to create an experience for fans new and old that would be worthy of three decades of the original trading card game. Described as collectible, commemorative, and jaw-dropping, and also mind-blowing, the set is a commemorative, collectible, non-tournament legal product that is inspired by limited edition beta, which is the second ever Magic set printed. Many of the cards included in this special set are on the reserve list, not the least of which is the Black Lotus itself. These are two different reprinted editions, both of which are in the 30th anniversary set. One of them happens to have a more vintage look, but I promise you, it's brand new. Now look, there are a few considerations to be made here. Keeping in mind, there are nuances to Watsi's reprint policy governing the reserve list and, you know, various loopholes through which the company can technically avoid going back on their semi-binding promise while still printing fancy new product to sell to those who want to pay the money. For example, the black border, if you look there, the black border that's usually included on the face of the card has been swapped for silver sometimes to allow for parody cards to be sold for play in an alternate format outside of legal tournament play. These are called the unsets, unsanctioned, un, uh, uh, un, unglued, un this, that, and the other thing, unwound. <laughs> uh, and they're all funny. You see Alexander Clamilton, for example, slaying Mantis. And it looks like he's doing a, a UFC style elbow. Well, I guess you can't do elbow in UFC. Anyway, doesn't matter. You get the point. So there's good reason for that. All right. There's, there's different ways you can do it. Another such loophole is being employed here, though. They're using a completely different card back. Rasmussen's own press release quickly acknowledges this and then gets it out of the way. He says, that's the back of the cards. But what you really care about is the front. Now, in essence... What Wizards has done here is decided to print professional, high-quality proxies. In other words, fake cards used instead of playing with the real versions of these high-dollar collectibles. There is a robust market for proxies, including services that even allow you to print custom editions with your own pictures that can be used legally in tournament settings. Too bad Hasbro has started shutting down such companies. <laughs> These com community-driven ventures, as of like yesterday, <laughs> uh, uh, just reading what's on the screen here, I'm sorry. On November 3rd, 2022, I received a cease and desist for Card Conjurer. Tuesday, November 18th, I'm taking it down. I wish there was another way. I tried everything I could. The fact is, Wizards wants it down, and so I must comply. Boy, uh, that comply word sounds awful familiar. But this won't stop me from creating clever proxies related to the stuff we cover on RTE. 
it's way too good an idea to pass up. Here is a COVID-19 one that I found with a quick pre-search, which is like Google, but better. Um, it's in French, but looks pretty cool. Uh, but I went and I found a way to make my own. So here's one that I made just now <laughs> over the course of an hour or so on a site called mtg.design. This is Klaus Schwab. He's a legendary creature. He's academic. And his flavor text, as they call it, we penetrate the cabinets. I'm very proud of myself. This is absolutely how I will be spending the entirety of my upcoming week. Just making so many of these. But back to the point. Well, hang on a minute. I wasn't actually off point. In fact, I had to go down that long road to establish some foundational facts to help explain what's going on in the story of the day, what's happening in magic today. If I wanted to get my custom Klaus Schwab card professionally printed, I could do that and probably will for two US dollars and for me, a flat $20 shipping to Canada. It's even cheaper for you Americans at just $5 flat shipping with tracking. Cool. Now, I'm not sure about Australia. Probably more than 20. This is all through a website called Printing Proxies, as you can see here. Um, now, with that in mind, it's time to ask. So 22 US dollars if I want to get a custom uh, Klaus Schwab one printed. $2 without shipping. How much is the Wizards of the Coast version? How much is the company asking for their super awesome 30th anniversary edition proxy box that comes with four packs of 15 cards each? Drum roll, please. 1,000 US dollars. Oh. Okay. So that's a lot. Um, a quick search on YouTube will reveal that while some people seem excited, most commentators in the space don't think this is a good idea. In fact, there are some calling this out as nothing more than a cash grab from the executives at the very top in order to open the door to further previously illegal reprints. And just basically whatever the heck the execs want to do. Then there's this. Now allow me to explain. In a strange turn of events, an early release copy of one of these proxy cards was suspiciously bid up on eBay to the winning bid of 3050 US dollars. The card in question, a Mox Pearl, as you can see here, is part of the previously described Power 9 and on the reserve list. On November 12, Riley Hicks at MTG Rocks com pointed out that the tournament illegal reprint was at that point outvaluing its vintage original counterpart before the final price was even attained. I quote, considering that the 30th anniversary edition is what many players consider to be proxies or illegal game pieces that replace a much more expensive alternative, many players did not believe that there would be any value in this product for a bit of a while. Initial sales of the 30th anniversary edition packs made it look that way, but a recent auction may squash that outlook entirely. The current top price for this tournament illegal card is about three grand. This already surpasses a heavily played, as in poor condition, version of Mox Pearl 
which you can play in tournaments. Well, not really legally, but which goes for about $2,600 in Unlimited. Aside from the novelty, part of the card's price theoretically comes from the grading of the mocks. A 9.5 grading means that the card is a fraction away from being in perfect condition. Grading like this can do a lot to multiply the potential price of the card, but this is surprising to see nonetheless. Now, of course, the card's condition is important. Goes without saying. But in this case, the 30th anniversary edition cards are all literally coming off the printing press as we speak. It would be problematic if they're if they weren't all essentially coming out in the 9.5 range. On the other hand, the value of the vintage cards do spike as the condition improves. This is for comparison. On the right, you have the 9.5 Mox Pearl, and on the left, you have a 5 of the original from Unlimited. You can see the difference, obviously, even in appeal. The one on the left is vintage. It's cool. It's awesome. One on the right is also fine, but we know it's not the same. It's a, it's a proxy. We, we've gone through what that is. It's just not the same. Now, in the video I showed a second ago, a YouTuber named Rudy, <laughs> meet Rudy, who runs a magic wholesale distribution direct to Patreon business called Alpha Investments. And he points out how problematic and frankly absurd this auction price is. Rudy explains that the seller named Kid Icarus had smelled something fishy with the auction and canceled the sale. A review of the bid history reveals that there were 19 bidders total, two of which had only one prior transaction of record on their eBay accounts. That's usually suspicious. But why then cancel the sale? Because the situation doesn't make any sense. Beyond the suspicious bidders and the overall strange bid activity, the listing defies what was a clear rejection of the card's values in early sales following a limited release at a recent exclusive event. The hype was short-lived, but the cards in the ridiculously expensive packs simply did not cover the cost of the packs, while the secondary market just wasn't interested. Rudy continued, though, explaining that Kid Icarus chose to wait until there was, mm, un sorry, until, let me bring his beautiful face back up, until Wizards dumps the rest of the overpriced toilet paper on the market so that we can see what the real value is. That's a direct quote from Rudy. So what happened? So given the fact that one of the main bidders was an account with virtually no history of activity on eBay, it seems plausible that this could have been a guerrilla ninja marketing style attempt of inflating the value of the Mox Pearl reprint on the secondary market in order to get people back on board with the idea that these cards are actually a product worthy of their hype and luxurious price tag. Then comes the why. Now I'm gonna quote Rudy here again. I don't know if everybody fully understands how big a deal this launch is. This $1,100 for four packs after tax and shipping. I hope it fails, but I'm afraid because I think it will sell out 
and the suits are going to all give themselves giant hugs, and it's going to give them the green light to change everything into a nasty future. And a lot of people feel this was part of the ninja shady marketing. We don't know, but man, has it been a circling conspiracy theory like crazy. So if Hasbro, through Watsy, can mass produce a piece of paperboard with virtually no inherent or plausible financial value as a facsimile of a vintage collectible that does have financial value as established on the open market based on underlying qualities such as scarcity. And that facsimile sells for equal or greater value than the original. Well, that means one of three things. One, the original collectible has no real underlying value. Two, the original collectible is severely undervalued, as Rudy suggests, though to a lesser degree. Or three, this whole thing means absolutely nothing and is a blatant, clumsy, gaslighting scam. So my closing thoughts. We can see that the value of the world's fiat currencies is rapidly plummeting through inflation. Your dollar will continue to be worth less every month, while the stock market and real estate plummet as well. Cryptocurrency is under attack through the implosion of FTX, taking the retail industry of crypto down with it. And precious metals are under the shadow of institutional dooming for the 2023 fiscal year. For the first time, I'm wondering if the collectibles market is undergoing a similar process. After all, collectibles are an asset class unto themselves with varying ease of liquidity and investment security, depending on what you're talking about. Stamps, comic books, rare coins, sneakers, vintage clothes, paintings, antique lamps. Some have established marketplaces, others don't. Bottom line, they are an alternative store of value for some people that may or may not act as a hedge against great reset economics, if I may coin that, or steal it from whoever coined it. Notice that in the case of fiat currencies, stocks, real estate, cryptocurrency, precious metals, even commodities and oil, is oil a commodity? I think so. All of them are assets heavily influenced by institutional players. Take a look at the things we've been discussing, and you'll find the heavy hand of government and big banks that seem to have their hands on every lever, ready to move the markets into the green or the red as it suits them. Have we just witnessed an example of, potentially, how a big corporation like Hasbro could successfully demoralize a community of people who come together around the love of a card game by diluting both the financial and the entertainment value of the product over the course of a couple of years. You know, mass printing way too many cards that the average player can't possibly keep up with. Then topping it up with a cheaply overproduced, overvalued premium product out of reach for that average person yet sure still to sell out through possibly contrived means 
simultaneously undermining the collectible value of the vintage products and stripping away anything real left? Question mark? Is this happening with other collectibles? Or am I overthinking this entire subject? Hmm. Jury's out. While I'm open to the latter, I can't help but notice these trends and point them out when I see them. Maybe this is an unfortunate coincidence. You know how every aspect of life is currently under some form of coincidental, simultaneous transition. Or maybe this is yet another example of a system that has gotten too comfortable with soft people running things. Well, we'll find out. Let me know if you play Magic. I'd love to have some more online people to play with. Because, well, it's a long story. Let's just say my old play group are... Eh, uh, eh, I'll leave it for another day. So, thank you very much for watching this week's episode of Rounding the News two days late. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please drop us a rumble rant or a tip on Rockfin. And before you do, in fact, sign up as a member to both the Substack. You can become a premium subscriber, get all the awesome uh, Bitcoin content that isn't available to normal folks. Uh, normal folks, yikes, let me try that again. Isn't available to non-paying subscribers. Um, or you can sign up as a member to our locals community, www.roundingtheearth.locals.com. You can even snag yourself a free month of premium support using the promo code included in the pinned comment by Matthew. You'll see it when you go. After which you can keep going. You can keep gaining access to behind the scenes discussions that we're keeping within our more intimate community for about five bucks a month. And I have been your host, Liam Sturgis. You can find me at www.liamsturgis.com or on Twitter at the Liam Sturgis. And just to quickly acknowledge our wonderful uh, uh, community here, Taz, a glass of wine to you as well. The end of days, Prophet. Brother Sturgis, thank you. Brother Prophet, thank you. Um, yes, rewatching this is always totally acceptable. Thank you for joining us, even if you are a few minutes behind. And just checking over on Rumble. And just checking over on Rockfin. And we are all good. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again so much. And we will be back, my goodness, tomorrow and Tuesday for back-to-back -back awesomeness. Hope you have a wonderful week. And um, be entertained. That's my advice for this week. As things happen, they come and go. There's going to be stressful things. There's going to be exciting things. Try to find it all entertaining. And let's check in next week and see if that helped at all. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you later. <laughs>